gift of prophecy and understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge. And if I had the faith that could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Nothing. If I could speak all the languages of the earth and all of the angels and didn't love others, just make it noise. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It does not insist on its own way. It keeps no record of ever being wrong. It does not rejoice over injustice, but it rejoices whenever justice wins out. Love goes, love sees, love does, love frees. Love does whatever it takes. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is. Well, good morning. morning. Happy Easter to you. And I want to welcome those of you who are joining right now, um, either from another part of this building in the warehouse, the chapel, or the loft, or uh, at one of our off-site campuses, especially those of you at Wando High School up in North Mount Pleasant. We're uh, just glad that you guys are along and on the internet or podcast Wherever you happen to be around the world, we're glad that you've joined us uh, today uh, for, this, uh, for this service. I got to tell you what happened to me today is I went by Starbucks on the way uh, to church this morning, which is my habit, and uh, pray for me. And, and uh, I was there just a little bit before seven, and the girl who was serving me behind the counter, uh, she was, had her head down, she was looking at the person in front of me, and, and all of a sudden there I was, and she looks up and she looks at how I'm dressed, and she goes, Christ is risen. <laughs> That's all she could say. And so I said, he's risen indeed. <laughs> and she said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but your, your jacket just says Easter. And so that's what this is about. Is, it's just about saying Easter. Those of you who are new, you're going, what's the ruckus? Usually it's jeans and a shirt, but, uh, but, but we're dressing up there. And you guys look good. It's an awesome day. What an incredible incredible uh, Easter this is, has been, and is going to be. You know, um, yeah, that's a good thing to clap about. We, um, we celebrate the love of God on this Easter. You know, Good Friday is about God's love, and Easter is about the fact that love can deliver on its promises. God loved us so much that he sent his son, and he rose again on Easter Sunday morning. It's about love. And we're going to talk about love a little bit today. And before I get into what I want to talk about, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever done anything crazy for love? Anybody ever done anything crazy for love? I want you to think about the craziest thing that you have ever done. North Charleston, I want you guys to be thinking about this. What is the craziest thing that you've ever done for love. What is it? I mean, we're talking big. Things like giving up, watching the finale of The Bachelor just because the one you love wants to watch like football or, you know, something like that. Or if you're a guy, giving up watching anything for The Bachelor, you know, or, or, um, or, or let's say that you agree to go to see The Notebook. Do you remember that one? Uh, with your tight squeeze and then when you leave, 
you say to her, uh, that's the best movie I've ever seen. <laughs> when you know you're lying, you know Rocky III was a lot better than that. There's just a lot, lot of great movies, you know. And uh, there, there are some things that you do because you have to. There are some things that you do because you want to. And then there are the things that you do for love. Um, I've been in love with my wife for a long time. She was my girlfriend for a few years before she became my wife. And we first started dating, we did kind of this, um, you know, group date deal where, you know, you'd go out with a group of kids and it wasn't really just one-on-one, but it was everybody together. My dad would slip me a little bit of money and we'd go to like Pizza Hut or something like that, you know, and, and uh, I, I can remember when I first started really liking her, I'd offer to buy her a meal, you know, because that was an expression of love for me. I want to buy you something. And so she'd say, okay, you know, and then she wouldn't order anything. You know what I mean? It's like she'd order water or, you know, maybe bread or something. And I'm going, what's up with that? Until I found out a few months later that what she was doing is that her and her best friend would go away from these nights and they would, they would just destroy a Burger King on the way home. I mean, they'd pound down Whoppers and all this kind of stuff. So I got mad. I got upset because I said, I'm trying to express my feelings for you. Part of that is through, you know, giving you stuff and buying your meal. And why, why do you do this to me? And she said, she said, I just love you too much to eat in front of you, you know. <laughs> Can I tell you, I've never loved anybody that much. I will eat whether I like you or don't like you. It's not an expression of anything. It's a fact that I like to eat. You know, that's just all that is. Love. Would you agree that love is the most powerful, fulfilling, mysterious, and frustrating word in our vocabulary? Love, what does it mean? The writer of the Proverbs uh, says in Chapter 21, verse 21 says, whoever pursues godliness and unfailing love will find life, godliness, and honor. So what we're gonna do as a church is we're gonna devote the next few weeks, several weeks, uh, in that pursuit of love. What does it mean? What is it? How do I walk in love? It's not gonna be like a you know, dating and marriage kind of series. It's gonna be for all of us. We're, we talk about what is love really? How does it express itself, and how should we walk in love? And, and today, we're going to begin the foundation of that, with, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Easter. It's God expressing his love to us. I want to study it, and I want to study it like this. I'm going to make three statements about love, and they're three pretty simple pretty foundational, fundamental statements about love, but they build on each other, and hopefully by the third one, uh, we will have a, a significant kind of experience with what it means to be loved by God, okay? So three things that we know about love. Here's the first one. Would you agree that love is a powerful motivator? Love is a powerful, powerful motivator, in fact, love is what motivates two people to forsake all others and pursue a life together. And then a little bit later, love will motivate a guy to sell his Harley and drive a minivan. How many of you know what that's about? It's love. Love is what motivates otherwise sane adults to crowd into a small bathroom, cameras in hand, to applaud a two-year-old on success at potty training. 
and then post the pictures on Facebook. That's love. It's crazy, it's crazy, but it's what love motivates you to do. Love motivates a mother to set her aside her dreams and ambitions, at least for a season, and sow into her children. And oftentimes, especially as the children grow, they have a hard time expressing that love back to the mom. But love is what motivates her to do that. Love will motivate a teenage guy to take a shower. <laughs> if you got preteens and you're worried about their hygiene habits, don't worry about it. Just they'll fall in love. It'll be fine. It cures it. Uh, love will motivate a friend to pet sit your cat. And a true friend will keep your cat and buy you a dog. Okay, that's just kind of how that goes. That's kind of how that goes. If you want to write me on that, write to... Greg Surratt at I don't care.com. Okay. And then, um, speaking of friends, love will motivate. Listen, I, I saw here in this church a few years ago uh, a group of ladies who loved each other, and one of their group had um, a, a disease that they had to treat with um, the kind of chemicals that cause her hair to, to uh, fall out. And so all of her other friends shaved their head, which was just an incredible thing. You go, you wouldn't do that, but you do it for love because love is a powerful, powerful motivator. Love will motivate you to do things that you don't think that you can do otherwise. I want you to hear a story of um, a girl in our church that went on a mission trip and was motivated by love. Well, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. I'll just let you hear her story. Allie uh, Swanson, I want, uh, take a look at this. Well, I'm a mission team leader, and I've been leading a team for about seven years now. After all these years in Nicaragua, I was praying that he would somehow touch me and that make me feel alive again on these trips because oftentimes we get in a situation where we're just going through the motions and we don't actually feel God's presence in any of it. And then when we got there, I went the whole week, we traveled all over the country. I mean, we were up in the rainforest and all these great places and saw a thousand patients in, in four or five days. And the very last day of our clinic, in comes Anhil. He sat up on the doctor's lap and his mom started to tell her story. And she got weepy. She started to say, you know, he's, he doesn't have long with us and he's got a really bad problem. The doctors have said he's not going to live much longer. She said when he was three, he wasn't gaining weight like the other boys. And so they took him to the doctor. And the doctors there diagnosed him as having a, a large congenital defect in his heart. He has a hole between the two ventricles of his heart, which is where the the blood gets its oxygenation from. When he would run or jump or anything with his friends, he would get lightheaded and pass out. The doctor said, look, his heart defect is so bad that if he doesn't have surgery soon, he will die by the age of eight. And his mom said that she was struggling with the guilt of knowing that he could have surgery if she had the money, but the surgery was gonna cost over $3,000. That's more than they'll see in, in a decade in their income level. And I kept seeing the word certain death by age eight. And he's eight, and his mom said that he had started recently spitting up blood. If he walked a block, he'd get tired. He'd turn purple. He spent the majority of the time sleeping. When he coughed, he coughed up balls of blood. 
As a mother, you feel responsible. So I cried. And the doctor was telling me, don't cry, don't be sad, there's nothing you can do. I had no other remedy, so the only thing I could do was put it in God's hands. We had a pastor with us and we all laid hands on him and we prayed for this little boy. And I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. I asked God to give me that and he gave it to me. And I just knew, I broke into tears and I knew that he was gonna do something, he was gonna do something huge in this little boy's life. I started to do a Google search and the first place that came up was the International Children's Heart Foundation, which is this amazing organization that travels over the world uh, doing heart surgery, just like on Hill, on children just like him. And I spoke to Dr. Gilbert, who's one of the top pediatric cardiothoracic surgeons in the country. And he said, I'm going to be in Honduras in June, which was the next month after I had met Anil. He said, if you can get him to me, I will evaluate him and my team of surgeons and I will consider doing his heart surgery. And I couldn't imagine not doing something. I didn't care how much it cost. I didn't care what boundary, what border. I didn't care what paperwork had to be done. I was going to get this little boy down there. I didn't care if I had to lose my job over it. I wasn't going to stop until I had him where he needed to be. I sent two guys that were well familiar with Onhill's story to his house to actually knock on the door because they, don't, they didn't have phones. So I had them knock on the door and tell them, tell the parents, hey, look, we have found a team of doctors that's willing to evaluate Onhill and see what they can do. The interpreter said that the, son, that the father sat down and put his head in his hands and began to cry and said, he's my only son. I thought I was going to lose him. And now maybe there's a chance that I'm not going to. And so um, his mom and dad had a prayer meeting with all the guys in the neighborhood supposedly before we came. They got everything together and they took him shopping. And little Anhill went out and got some used clothes so that he had enough clothes to travel with us. He told everybody he was going to get a new heart. <laughs> and these were his new duds for his heart surgery. <laughs> so we, we got there, we drove him. Uh, we left his neighborhood that morning in a van and we drove all the way through the mountains of Nicaragua to Honduras. We met up with the team and they determined that he was a candidate for surgery and that he would be a great candidate. And so I was invited by Dr. Gilbert to assist in the surgery. As a physician assistant, I assist in surgeries daily and so he gave me the honor and I wasn't sure. I thought, it, you know, things are going to be tough. If, if his heart stops, can I keep going? Can I keep doing what I have to do? Because I know the heart's going to stop. I know we're going to intentionally stop his heart. Can I keep it together, you know, now that I've attached myself to this little boy? And I love him. I love him like he was my own son, and I don't have children yet, but I can only imagine what a parent feels towards a child. Um, so when they rolled him in for surgery, basically, I held his hand, and he was very, very scared. And then they laid him down on the table, and he was frightened, and he started to cry. And I just put my hand on his leg, and I held his fingers until he fell asleep. And then we started the surgery. and. When his heart stopped, Dr. Gilbert grabbed my hands and he put my hand on his heart and he said, you need to touch his heart. You need to hold it. You've touched his heart in so many ways. You can literally say you've touched it from the inside out now. I couldn't stop smiling behind my mask. My eyes were almost closed because I was smiling so big. And uh, I got the honor of closing his chest and, and sewing him up. And then the bigger honor was being able to run out to the waiting room and grab his mom who'd been praying almost the entire time we were in surgery and grabbing her and saying, your son made it, he's going to make it.
He went back home two weeks after the surgery and he's out playing with his friends now. And they say that he's gained 10 pounds and he's very tall and he's eating his weight. <laughs> he's eating a lot of food right now, his parents say. I'm not even sure that he knows the magnitude of how sick he was, but I think he knows how healthy he is now. I think about him every day. He's kind of my mountaintop spiritual moment. I, I saw God's hand firsthand. Uh, cool story, huh? I saw God's hand firsthand. You know, um, I, I often wonder, stories like that it happened eight months ago, I wonder how people are doing now and how it's impacted their life. You ever wonder that? Why don't we ask them? Uh, I want you to welcome, if you would, Allie and Angel and his mother, Emma, and their friend, Alvaro. Okay, you can have a seat. This is kind of cool. <laughs> Took an act of Congress to get this done, so thank your local congressman if you would. Um, Allie, you, you know, why'd you do it? I mean, uh, not just going on a mission trip, but when you got there, this little guy was the last patient you saw, and as I understand it, um, doctors had said they can't, couldn't do this. It was too risky a surgery, and, but you said, I'm going to do something about it. Why, why'd you do it? What, tell me a little bit about that. I was in a very spiritually dry place, and I had prayed to God that he would do something inside of me. And when we prayed for Onhill that day, and we put our hands on him, I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I knew at that time that something big was going to happen. And... Just, I felt a love for Angel that I have never felt before in my life. And I know that's a God love. I know that's something that he did. Okay. Yeah, you told me uh, a couple of months ago when we sat down and talked about this that you were compelled, motivated by the love of God just to go the next step, just to do something a little bit more. Yeah. Well, let me talk to mom. This is, can you imagine how hard this is, mamas, if I was to have you on stage to do this in another culture? But, uh, you know, there, uh, wow, how can I ask it? Um, what, what did it feel like when you brought him to doctors and they said there's really no hope? ¿Qué sentiste cuando lo traías a todos los doctores y te decían que no había esperanza? Me sentí muy mal. Creí en realidad que ya no había vida, este, esperanza para mi hijo. I felt real bad. I thought that really that there was no hope for my son. Pero tanto pedirle a Dios y pedirle y orar. Llegó Allison y hubo una consulta y ahí pasé. But I was praying and praying, praying to God, and then the group came and Ali was there. Me dijeron que iban a llegar muy buenos doctores y lo puse en las manos de Dios. And they, they, I put him on God's hand, and they told me that God was going to do something. Yo dije. Dios va a hacer un milagro aquí. And I think to myself, God's going to be 
God's going to be doing a miracle here. Wow. So, um, how, how have you experienced the love of God in the midst of all of this? How, how is God different to you now than he was before? ¿Cómo experimentaste el amor de Dios en todo este proceso? ¿Cómo era Dios antes para vos en el pasado como es ahora en el presente? ¿Cuál es la diferencia? Al eh, comienzo yo no creí. Creí que pues, blasfemaba mucho contra Él. I was very upset with God before. Porque la mayor tiempo de la vida de mi hijo la pasé en el hospital desde nueve meses que él tenía. Because basically almost all uh, Angel's life I spent it on the hospital since like he was like nine months. Incluso cuando estaba, estaba en el hospital, yo pensé que mi hijo ya no iba a salir del quirófano. Sí. Even though when uh, we were in Honduras, I, you know, had my doubts uh, that maybe that he was not going to be able to make it. Hmm. Pero al ver mi hijo como estaba en una camilla, miré que Dios era tan grande que me lo había vuelto a dar otra vez. But then, being there, like, then we came out of the surgery, I saw, you know, I think to myself, how big God is that he gave me angel again to my life. Mm. Wow. And so if there's a mother here that there may be that has lost hope in some way, you would say what to them? I think we're going to move on. How emotional. Wow. Well, let's talk to... Uh, the star of the show. Shall we do that? <laughs> now, this little guy last, last night, first service, we've had it, it's about the fourth or fifth time we've done this. Um, he was a little bit shy. And then I told him last night, I said, you know, you're, you're famous now because there's thousands of people that are seeing you. It's kind of like a soccer player. And... Uh, and so after the, after the rest of the services, I would go outside, try to shake hands with people. Nobody wanted to shake hands with me. I look around, he's down the hall, shaking hands, taking pictures, all this kind of stuff. So, so tell me, for you, what's the best part of having a brand new heart? ¿Qué es lo mejor para vos de tener un corazón nuevo? Jugar fútbol, jugar Nintendo y correr. To play soccer, to play video games and run. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I'm afraid we may have ruined him because we introduced him to Nintendo. Yeah. Would you guys give them a hand? Thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you. Love is a powerful motivator. Love took a normal person and drove her, Allie, to do more than she thought she could do. Love is a powerful motivator. Here's the second, here's the second phrase. Human love has its limits. Human love has its limits. Uh, as most of you who attend church here know that Debbie and I have four children and nine grandchildren, and our oldest grandchild's four years old, his name's Miles. And about, um, I don't know, six months ago, six, eight months ago, he just turned four, and Miles was at the house, and I was trying to get him to do something, I don't remember what it was, 
But I said, Miles, I want you to do something. And he, he would, no, or ignore me. And so, and so then I thought, well, I'll, 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 fra- I'll rephrase it so he understands. Miles, if you love Papa, I want you to do this. And some of you, you know, you're looking at me like, that's kind of guilt that you're doing. And as a grandparent, it's okay. Anything works. It works, you do. But, but let, me, let, me, let me say this. Jesus, with his disciples, said what? If you love me, you will do my commandments, right? I'm just trying to be like Jesus. So I said to Miles, I said, Miles, if you love Papa, then you'll do this. And this is what, this is what my four-year-old Freshly turned four grandson said, Papa, love has its limits. <laughs> what is up with that? Where does the guy, you know where he gets that? Too much veggie tails. Too much veggie tails. Love has its limits. But it's true, isn't it? In the words of the great theologian, meatloaf. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. (laughs) I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. He said that throughout the rest of his career after he sang that song in what, about 94, something like that, he said that the number one question that people had was, what is that? What is that? But you know what? We all have that. I would do anything for love. Great motivator but I won't do that. What is that? Let, let me give you some examples from the story that we just heard. Allie, motivated by love, went above and beyond, even willing to lose her job if necessary, but I'm gonna help this little guy if I can. Let's say that the circumstances were a little bit different, and in order to save this little guy in Nicaragua, that Allie has to give her own life to do it. Would she do that? You know, knowing her just a little bit now, I think she might. I mean, if it was a decision to be made in a split second, I think she might lay down her life for him. She'd do that, maybe. Um, let's, let's add the stakes, ratchet it up just a little bit. What if, in order to save this little child from Nicaragua, she, it, it's required that she give the life of her husband, that her husband die? Would she do that? On some days she might. I mean, you know. <laughs> let's, let's take it up a little bit more. She wants to have kids. What if she had a son or a daughter? And the only way to save this little boy that she doesn't even know in Nicaragua is it would require the death of her son or daughter. Maybe there'd have to be a heart transplant or something like that. Would she do that? Would you do that? Let me help you. I wouldn't. Just being honest with you. If it required the death of one of my four children or one of my nine grandchildren in order to save a little boy in Nicaragua, however deserving he is, as a parent, I wouldn't make that exchange. I just couldn't do it. I'm being honest with you. My love has limits. I was thinking about that this morning, just kind of running it through again. How real is this? 
I, I guess the closest thing to that is parents who send their sons or daughters off to war to defend our country. But even then, you're hoping that they'll come back. But in this case, we're saying, you know they're not gonna come back. You, you're gonna give them in their life in exchange. You wouldn't do that. Because love's a powerful motivator, but love has its limits. Here's the third thought I'd like to give you. God's love does whatever it takes. God's love does whatever it takes. That's what we're celebrating here at Easter. The fact that God gave his son to die for you and me. He did whatever it takes. See, the Bible says that all of us have a heart disease, that there's a problem that uh, began when God created man and woman and he created them in his image and he created them to have fellowship with him and to walk and commune together and, and then at some point they rejected God. And their rejection looked like this. I think I have a better idea than God. God is so limiting in what he's saying to me. I could do more, be more. I think I'm gonna make my own decisions and choices on this. And when that happened, sin entered into the heart which separated man and woman from God. And it's not just those first ones, it's you and I. I mean, we do the same thing. We set ourselves up to be God. You know, don't, I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Do you get irritated when people tell you what to do? And then to think that God would tell me what to do, that's what our whole country is in a moral abyss right now because we're in this whole argument, is there absolute truth? Is there absolute morality? And what we wanna say is no, don't let anybody force their morality on you, especially this concept of God because I am my own God. I wanna make my own choices. I wanna make my own decisions. I don't wanna have to bow my knee to anything, anybody, anywhere. And so we set ourselves up as God and we sin and it separates us from a holy God. And so here's what God could do. God could go, okay, that's just that individual, those individuals, they live in a far off place. They're gonna make their bed, let them sleep in it. I know the consequences of that, but I'm not gonna do anything about it. But he didn't, here's what he did. Because he was motivated by love and because his love has no limits, he did whatever it took. In fact, John 3.16, which is, I mean, it's a scripture that most of us know. It's the most popular scripture in the Bible as far as what people know. And it says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Do you get it? He did what you and I said we wouldn't do. And, he, and, and, and when we said we wouldn't do it, it had to do with this, with this really cute kid that has this terrible disease that deserves better. And we said we couldn't do that. I couldn't give my son for that. And God does this. God does it while we're still rebels while well, we're in rebellion. In fact, if you looked at Jerusalem during the time just the week before Easter, 
You know, one week before is what we call Palm Sunday, and you know the story. There are people welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, waving palms, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is our Messiah. This is our King. He's going to deliver us from the bondage that we're in right now. And when they find out that he has a different agenda, that that's not his agenda, in other words, when his agenda doesn't match our agenda, then our agenda is right. And so now they reject him. And they go, crucify him. In fact, there's only a handful of people that are following Jesus. And it's in that climate that God goes, I'm going to send my son to redeem them and everyone who will believe on him. While you and I were yet sinners, while we were rebelling against God, he did the thing that we can't do that our love won't allow us to do. He gave his son, his only son, it says, so that whoever would believe on him would receive eternal life. Whoever believes on him would receive eternal life. What, is it, what does eternal life mean? What, let's kind of unpack that just a little bit, some of the benefits uh, to eternal life. The first benefit is that I become a part of God's family. I become a part of God's family. John 1 and verse 12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He says, if you just believe that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, um, you can become a child of God. And as a child of God, you have some Benefits to that, as children of God, God promises to take care of all of our needs so we don't have to worry about them. I love Romans 8 and verse 31. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Let me unpack that scripture just a little bit. It's Paul writing, and he's writing to a people, group of people who are worried. Do any of you ever worry? Anybody worry in here? Anybody at all? Okay, in this section over here, nobody worries. Is anybody concerned at all about anything? Okay, all right, we're concerned. We're concerned. We're worried. And Paul says this. He says, let's do, the, let's do the math here. God gave his son the thing you couldn't do or wouldn't do, he did. Now, if he did that, wouldn't it make sense that he'll take care of you? He'll take care of the things that you need. I was in Israel about one year ago, and we were walking through a field, and the tour guide said, it's somewhere around this area where Jesus had this little talk with his disciples. It's found in Matthew 6. And uh, Jesus said something like this. He said, hey guys, why do you worry? He said, look around, look at the birds of the air. And in this area there were birds because it's not very far from fishing vessels and all of that. And he said, look at the birds of the air. He said, none of them sow or reap. They don't do the work and yet God takes care of them. How much more important are you than them? And then he said, Take a look at the flowers. And I, I remember just looking around this field and there were flowers everywhere, wildflowers. There were whites and yellows and purples and it was just beautiful. And Jesus says, look at the flowers. He said, Solomon, in all of his splendor, even Greg Stroud on Easter, said, no, no, they, they don't even compare 
to the beauty of, this, of these flowers, and, and yet you're so much more important than you. You don't have to worry about what you wear or eat. In fact, he goes on, and I'll quote him. He says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. So God gives me all that I need, and then he gives me family responsibilities. Um, Growing up in a family, you probably had chores, or they divvy up responsibilities to the kids. God does the same thing with his family. In fact, in Ephesians 2.10, he says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, when you, when you become a God, part of God's family, he gives you purpose. He gives you meaning. You may be in a job right now where you go, I don't even know why I do this. You may be in a situation in your life right now where you go, you know, life really doesn't have that much meaning to me. God says, no, if you're a part of my family, I have, before the foundations of the earth, before you were ever born, I created some things for you to do on a regular basis and from time to time just to change the world that'll just blow your mind. Like, like Allie, who just was in a dry place and felt led to go on a mission trip. And on that mission trip, God showed her somebody and gave her some choices and she went and she did some things and they were things, I believe, that were predestined from before the beginning of the earth so that she could be a part of God's redemptive process. He wants that for all of us. And then eternal life means that I will live forever with him and his family. That means that if I'm a believer in Jesus and what he did, that when I die, it's, it's just a transfer from one reality to another, that I live with him forever. You say, well, people ask me every once in a while, well, doesn't, don't everybody get that? Doesn't everybody go to heaven when they die? And honestly, if you attend enough funerals, you would think so. But here's the deal. First Peter 1 and verse 4 says, for God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. He says, God, is, God has reserved heaven for his family. It's for his kids. It's for those who believe in him. He says, is that really fair? Yeah, it's fair. God won't force you to do so. If you, you know, distance yourself from God all of your life, why would he force you to be in his presence forever? He's not gonna do that. It's like, it's like if uh, one of our relatives died and they happen to have significant means and there was a will and so the whole family comes into the lawyer's office you know, to kind of probate the will and, and some stranger off the streets comes in and says, I want a piece of that. I, I, I deserve part of the will. What would you say? No, you don't. What are you drinking? I mean, that's just... No, you, you didn't know the family. You weren't a part of the family. You never did anything. And you want a part of this. And that's what we're saying if we say, you know what, I'm gonna live however I want to. I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. But when I die, I'm gonna go to heaven because I'm gonna go there with God's kids. No, doesn't make any sense. God doesn't damn anybody to hell. It's like he just gives you what you want. You want distance from me? Okay, no problem, I'll give you... Distance, all the distance you want for eternity. But here's the truth. You don't want that. You don't want it. 
And if everybody has eternal life, then why did Christ have to die? This is God's son. It costs God everything for you and I to have eternal life. Don't ever forget that. He did whatever it took. In order to receive it, you must believe. Believe what? Believe that you have a heart problem, that sin has separated you from God, that God did whatever it takes to bring you life, that Jesus died, and he not only died for you, but he was buried, he rose again on the third day, the Easter that we celebrate, proving that he had the power over death and was able to give life to those who believe. And if you do believe, you can be sure that you have eternal life. That's the power of the empty tomb. So let me ask, do you believe? Have you said to God, have you confessed, said, I believe. Sorry for my sins, sorry for acting like God. I wanna follow you and be a Christ follower. This is so very important. I mean, I was praying just yesterday about this service and the significance of this time that we're together and the fact that the decisions made in these moments will impact families for a lifetime, for eternity, forever. This is important stuff. So here's what I I want to happen. In the next few minutes, I'd like everybody in this auditorium and in the auditoriums that are listening to just bow your heads right now. I'd like campus pastors to come forward to the front, the bands to come forward to the front, and uh, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, do some worship music in just a minute. But, but I want you to bow your heads just so you can close yourself in and just think about where are you right now? Where am I? Do I believe? Am I a part of God's family? Most important question you could ever ask. Am I right with God? It has nothing to do with all the good things that I do or the bad things that I've done. Nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with what God has done in giving his son, Jesus Christ. Do I believe? That's what the Bible says. If you believe, you have eternal life. There are many of us in this house and in the other buildings, you're not sure. You're not really sure if you have eternal life. Would you just look up at me if that's you just saying, I don't know that I've made that choice, okay? Just look up and look up at your campus pastor if that's you in the, in the auditoriums all across this building. You know, I, I, I wanna believe, I wanna believe. But I'm not sure that I've ever really stepped across the line. Okay, all over the building, up in the balconies, up in the balconies, okay? In the center section. I, w- I want to live forever as a part of God's family, and I-, I want you to pray for me today. Just Would you just look up? Just look up. Okay. All right. All over this building. Okay. Okay. Up in the balconies. Up in the balconies. All right. Here's what I want you to do. We're going we're gonna, to, I'm going to pray for you here in just a minute. We're going to have a response time that we do at Seacoast every week, and kind of everybody's going to move, move around. People are going to take communion, whatever. And I'd love for you, if you're saying today, I wanna be sure and I wanna know that I'm a part of God's family and I'm committing my life to Christ today. I'm saying yes to God, I receive Jesus. I receive the fact that I have a bad heart and that you sent him so I can have life. I want you to get out of your seat. Just go to the crosses in this auditorium that are on either side of the platform here. Right next to the cross, there's this, this canvas that has names on it. 
I'd like you to just go there and just sign your name. It's kind of like sealing the deal. It's kind of like the contract with God, you know? It's saying, this is the day for me. You look back and in future days and you go, you know what? I committed my life to Christ. I said yes to God. In the balconies, I want you to come down and do it. You know what? There's gonna be resistance. I know this. There's gonna be things that go, I don't wanna do that or maybe I don't need to or whatever and yet God's drawing you. I want you to plow through resistance, get up and go, say a prayer, say God, here am I, sign your name and then we're gonna rejoice and celebrate what God has done. We're gonna receive communion together and celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ died for us. We're gonna um, go to the offering boxes and we're gonna give generously as God has given to us. Some of us in this place, we need somebody to pray for us. We relate very much to Angel's mother. There may be a, a segment of our life that feels hopeless. And today God wants to touch you. There will be people on the windows here in this auditorium that will pray, pray with you. And then we're gonna, we're gonna light a candle perhaps and praying for someone else or maybe there's something that God has uh, just compelling you with, that motivating you by love. Maybe you need to forgive somebody of a, of a, of a debt or a, a debt of love or uh, maybe God's compelling you to you know, write somebody a note or, or maybe it's to go on a mission trip. Or I, don't, I don't even know what it is. You go to the candle and you pray, Lord, may the light of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit just light up my life, okay? So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your kingdom. I thank you for those who um, are here today and just honestly admit, um, I need you. I teach you. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. Lord, I receive that on my behalf when I become a Christ follower today. Guide me, direct me. Lord, use me however you choose to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.